guys, staying in a read. Chapter 9 of the Shakespeare's Crime. So here I go. By the time we set out for Hungerford the next morning, Mr. Shakespeare was strong enough to ride, though we had to have a bit of help in mounting. The effects of alcohol he had consumed the night before seemed to bother him as much as the arm did. Though he pronounced my plaster bandage satisfactory, I was not satisfied, for I could see how hard hard his swollen flesh pressed against it, and I knew it must be painful. He dismissed my concern. The swelling will go on in a day or two, he said. But that evening, when Mr. Shakespeare summoned me to his room at the King's Head in Wantage, I found the arm as swollen as ever. Mr. Shakespeare was clearly suffering. He had a glass of brandy at hand to ease the pain. Perhaps I did something wrong, I said anxiously. Perhaps I should cut the bandage off again. No, Mr. Shakespeare insisted. There must, but there is something you might do for me. Name it, I said, amusing. He meant for me to fetch no more brandy or the like. Have you ever taken a dedication? Dictation. Dictation? You mean writing down the spoken word? Exactly. Well, I, Dr. Bright often asked me, I paused. Now that I had clearer sense of right and wrong, it embarrassed me to admit my past transgressions. I was a clergyman as well as a doctor, you can, and uh, and had me visit neighboring churches and copy down the sermons of other rectors. Mr. Shakespeare seemed more amused than disapproving. Steal them, in other words. Aye, and, and then Simon Bass had to steal my play. He shook his head. You've had ill luck in matters. Until now, I said. Well, put. what I'm asking is not dishonest, but it may be difficult. I have promised the queen I would write a new comedy for her to be performed upon our return London. Her Majesty finds that much such fare as Hamlet and Caesar puts her in melancholy humor. She prefers something more lightweight. The pained expression of Mr. Shakespeare now was, now war was, I fancied, due to more than just the swollen arm. So, he went on, it is my duty as a loyal subject to cannot con something her appetite finds more delectable, a trifle, as it were, and not the more substantial fare I am inclined to prepare. 
He gestured impatiently at his plaster-bombed right arm with his left one. And since I cannot possibly put pen to paper for myself, I must have someone do it for me, for or else fail in my duty to the queen, to my queen. If you think you'll, you're up to the task, I'm prepared to give you an extra shilling a week, presuming I have it to give, which in view of our singular lack of success so far may be in doubt. So what do you say? Will you do it? The offer came so unexpectedly that I found my tongue temporarily tied. I, I, good, said Mr. Shakespeare, apparently mistaking an I for an I. He picked up a leather bond portfolio and opened it upon the small folding desk he had brought along. The portfolio was clearly and compactedly designed, with a pocket for writing paper, one of bolting paper, bolting paper, a pouch that held goose quill pens and, and a pen knife, even a strap that secured a bottle of ink. You sit at the desk, he said. I'll take the bed. Feeling awkward and uncertain, I seed, seated uh, myself upon the trunk that contained the company's playbooks and handbills and pulled up my sleeves. Um, and I'm to write swiftly a plumbacco pencil would be preferable to a quill pen. I don't have one. No matter, I do. I retrieved it from my wallet and tore off some paper wrapping to the exposed a half inch or so to graphite core. I glanced at the pages he had written out already. From the copying at the actor's side, I was used to reading Mr. Shakespeare's undiscipled scrawl. Nevertheless, I found it hard to decipher these words. A good half of them had been crossed out. In addition, there were black blotches everywhere, as though an ink plague had struck the paper. They tell me, said Mr. Shakespeare, there's a rumor about London to effect that I had never bought out a line. Obviously, it isn't so. He sighed and added ruefully, would that it were. One thing I I make out with ease was the title for it was printed neatly in uppercase letters, Love's Labor's Wand. I assumed it was to be squirrel to Love's Labor's Lost until I saw that 
the although it was set in France like that. Other play, the names of the characters were totally unfamiliar. Read to me that I wrote last, if you will. I'll try. I have been a medicine that's able to breathe life into a skull. That's a stone. Oh, sorry. Uh, quicken a rock and make、uh, you dance. Cannery with sprinkly fire and motion, whose simple to- torch touch is powerful to raise King Pepin, nay, to give great Charlemagne a pen in his hand. And write to her a love's line. I looked up from this page. It's a play about medicine. No, no," said Mr. Shakespeare. Only in part. The heroine's father was a physician, and he uses one of his nocturnes to cure the king. Of what? A fistula. Oh, I said. But I don't think a fistula may be cured with medicines. It needs to be cut away. Mr. Shakespeare gave me a look that implied he just as soon as I kept my opinions to myself. This is the, a play which, not a medical treatise. Sorry, stop saying that. Let's proceed and and write to her a love line. And write to her a love line. He squeezed his eyelids shut and pressed the fingers to his forehead, as if trying to force the words from his brain. All right, King. What her is this? Ah, too many syllables. I'll wager. He tickled the syllables off his fingers and write to her a love line. What her is this? A metalinks a bit, but it'll it'll have to do. You have that, I. All right, Layful. Why, Doctor She? My lord, there's one arrived. If you will see her, by my faith, I trow. No, no. By my faith, an honor is better, though it doesn't scan. By my faith, an honor, if it, if seriously, I may convey my thoughts. Hath in her wisdom and constancy amazed me. Do you have that? I every word. Let me see. I held up the paper, and he peered at what I had written, which was, "Ah," he said, "you've used your, what is it called, charactery." He handed the paper back to me with a quizzical smile on his face, lettered by a wince of pain. How will I ever know whether or not you've gotten it right? Well, sir, I suppose you'll. Just have to trust me. The moment I said these words, I regretted them. After all, what cause did I, did he have to 
put his trust in someone who had a history of stealing sermons and play scripts. I feared he would say as much, but all he said was, yes, I suppose so. Anyway, you'll copy it all out in normal script later, I trust. A. I. He lay back on the bed with a slight groan and continued, still lethal, Will you see her, sire, and know her business? King, bring her on lawful. Oh, God, that sounds as though she's a platter of meat. Bring her hands, lawful, that we may, that we may. That we may what? That we may admire? That we may wonder? Damn! He struck the bed a blow of frustration with his good arm, which drostled his injured limb. He at once cried out and pressed it into his chest. That was stupid, he muttered brunkly. Can I get you something? No, no, unless it's new brain, one that works. I sounded well enough to me, I ventured. Yes, well, what do you know, he snapped. Then he sighed, took a dose of brandy, and went on more kindly. Go back, go on to Bedridge. I'm not accustomed to writing scripts in the second-hand fashion, that's all. It'll go better next time. Aye, sir. I rose and looked closed up the portfolio. Shall I blow out the candle then? What? No, leave it. I'll be awake for some time yet. As I slipped from the room, I softly said, Good night, sir. He made no reply. For the way he was staring at the candle flame, I judged that his thoughts were elsewhere, in friends perhaps, or in despair. So that was chapter 9. Bye guys, see you later. See you later, see you later, see ya. See ya later. Bye guys.